The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Pray, remembering this, that beside still waters, we continually face this recurring theme, which is the key objective of the Christian. The key activity is not to simply pray, but to pray in the full awareness of heart and mind, engaged in one thought, I am in the presence of God. God the infinite, the almighty, the source of life and love, the one possessing limitless beauties, grace, loving kindness, and most importantly, he created me to be in his presence, that we, that is he and I, might enjoy what was intended to be and what was practiced in the garden. However, while we exist in a chaotic cosmos, we must remember that God's presence is the jewel of our spiritual life, regardless of circumstances. Whether there be times of peace and evident blessing or times of crisis, followed by awareness of weakness, necessitating separation of oneself to God in earnest prayer and, if need be, times of fasting. Crisis drives us to God, and this is a recurring theme throughout the scriptures. Holy men and women faced spiritual dilemmas, There's no difference for any of us. This is the standard for the Christian life. Jehoshaphat the king was brought to a place of helplessness when Judah's enemies, Mount Seir, Ammon, and Moab, arrived on their borders, intending invasion. It would always be the same with us as it was for this king. And so chapter 20, verse 3, simply states that Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set himself to seek Jehovah. That fear and helplessness drove this man to seek the face of God and was so urgent that he added fasting to lend urgency to his petitioning. And my friends, there is a reason why we see and have these examples of holy men of God coming into the presence of God so as to obtain an overturning of the circumstance in this physical universe. And I don't want you to miss this important point. 
Let's talk about the glory, the glory of God. This place is where many of us need to be, a place where we feel our weakness acutely so that we are compelled to seek God's face with singleness of mind and heart. I've mentioned this before. Feeling weak is a place where we recognize we have no recourse, no solution, no, quote, arm or flesh, unquote, <laughs> that we can lean on. And we are helpless, helpless before our circumstances. Many of us have not found ourselves in that predicament. And as a result, seeking God with the whole heart is for the most part a foreign spiritual experience. But this king, he was afraid. Judah was afraid. Jerusalem, the capital city and all its dwellers, was afraid. And so we often learn better by example than by precept. In fact, the disciples asked our Lord Jesus to teach us to pray. And Jesus gave the structure, or sometimes I prefer to say the direct approach to God that gets his attention. King Jehoshaphat used the same approach to God as Jesus taught. And if we approach God in this manner, we will not lack for answers nor lack assurance that our petitions will be granted. Of course, this is predicated on living a life of holiness. Confidence that we are in the presence of God and we are heard because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ is a rare experience for the average Christian. If a believer is asked, what level of assurance of an answer is experienced even before they've seen the answer to their prayer? Many will likely say two in 20. I suggest to you there is a lack of conscious awareness, a lack of certainty, a lack of faith in believing in the certainty of the petition being granted. The devoted Christian ought to know they are heard of God and that the answer to their petition is already on its way. Why? Because they have exercised believing importunity with expectation of a favorable answer, exactly as we have been commanded. Jehoshaphat gave by example what assurance looks like and what assurance sounds like. And I ask you, do I pray, do you pray with the confidence that this man displayed in his approach to Jehovah in the day of his trouble? Firstly, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of renown, the God of history. Jehoshaphat says to Jehovah in verse 6, You, Jehovah, are the God of our fathers. He, this God, is the God of renown, the historical God who worked on behalf of the fathers in the midst of their crises. 
This is the same God who did valiantly on behalf of his people because they looked to him in singleness of heart. He is the same God who occupies the heavens. In fact, the psalmist tells us that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him and that the nations are as dust in his presence. So great is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that it behooves us to pause and to carefully consider in whose presence we are coming into. I dare say we are sacrilegious in coming to the presence of the Almighty God, casting our petitions before him without cultivating an attitude that displays worshipfulness. We commit sacrilege by first begging on our own behalf on our, about our own interests and forgetting to ponder the grandeur, the immutable nature, the omnipotence, the omniscience of our God. And so great is he that the heavens and the earth are as a vapor. He extends no additional energy to keep all the physical universe consisting by the word of his power. His command is what preserves the universe. And it's the universe and all that is in it is but dust to him in his greatness. How much less the very problems that we are now petitioning him for, the issues that we are bringing into his presence to ask him to overturn, how, how small are these issues in contrast to his greatness? My friends, worship and recollection of his glory precedes petitioning, precedes begging, Always. Even our Lord Jesus said, as he was teaching the disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He then spoke of the kingdom that was coming, God's plans and purposes which he desires to establish on the earth. All of this takes priority over my plans, my purposes, and so it behooves me to pray with him his will in view. God has a purpose for our crises. And just as his coming kingdom will be to his glory, so too the answer to my petition must be to his glory. The execution of the will of God on earth just as it is in heaven, supersedes the execution of my will and my purposes on earth. And so it begs the question, am I petitioning God for his perfect will to be done in allowing this crisis in my life? Is my response and the answer that I'm seeking to bring glory to God? Is, is it a, my friends, it is a difficult question because we are driven to God out of need for an immediate resolution. And we've done so without giving careful thought as to the why of my petition.
Jehoshaphat alluded to this very thing when he said, Jehovah, God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And don't you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? The fact that Jehovah aligned himself with the interests of the nation of Israel and the forefathers was critical to this king's petition. Because his need for deliverance from foreign entities was aligned with the will of God to protect the nation of Israel, which has long-term implications for God's purposes. If the nation is destroyed, then the promises of God regarding the coming Messiah are also destroyed and made of none effect. Failure on Jehovah's part to deliver the nation jeopardizes the promises he made to the forefathers. Additionally, failure to deliver robs God of glory in the heavens as all the entities in heaven are aware of the promises he made to the fathers and to the nation concerning his willingness to deliver and to give aid in time of crises. His sovereignty extends beyond heaven and touches even to the decision-making of earthly governments. Because of this, Jehovah, uh, Jehoshaphat had confident assurance that God is able to deliver and that the answer, the overturning of the circumstance, is but a simple event, a simple task for the God of Israel. There's no contest in this fight. So, how can we petition the God of heaven while being ignorant of his purposes and plans? How can we ask for divine intervention when we have no awareness how this answer will bring glory to God? How can we ask of God, uh, request petitions, and not know if the answer furthers his interests on earth? How can we petition the God of heaven when our love for him and for his testimonies is oftentimes at a low ebb in our lives and enjoyment of his presence is at times non-existent? How can we? How can we petition God to intervene in our impossible circumstances when our meditation on his mighty works are far and few between? I ask you, is this not the reason why we are often filled with doubt that we will ever receive the requests which we petitioned God for? The sparsity of answered prayer in so many lives of Christians betrays the faithlessness of our hearts and minds. Our minimalistic view of God exposes the very cause of the scarcity of answered prayer and the lack of confidence which provides our, or I should say pervades our uh, spiritual experience. We are entering, my friends, we are entering into the presence of God while doubting that we will receive an answer.
favorable to our cause. I ask you, do, do, we, do we have a story to tell of God's past exploits? Is there a sense of anticipation and excitement to tell others how he answered this very prayer, the very request that we are petitioning him for? And can we do so even before the answer has come to pass? Because we have full assurance of faith that the answer has already been commanded from the throne room of heaven. Do we have that sort of confidence? Jehoshaphat was convinced of the absolute authority of God to rule on his behalf in a favorable way with a favorable outcome. In Psalm 113, verse 6, the psalmist asks, Who is it like unto the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who, watch this, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? The contrast of the greatness of God with the physical universe is important in putting into perspective the size of the threat that creates fear in our hearts. The psalmist puts it in clear perspective. There is no comparison to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who possesses heaven and earth and who's made his throne in the heavens. And so great is he that it is analogous to us to bending our knees to look at a little speck of dust on our floor. We have to humble ourselves to get low enough to look at the residue that we need to, to ultimately sweep into the dustbin. And if God humbles himself to look on the things in heaven and earth, then I ask you this, what, what significance is your problem in view of his Greatness. If the heavens and the earth are minuscule to him, <clears throat> how much more the problem that I'm facing, how much more minuscule is that problem if the very uh, uh, heaven and earth or the earth on which I'm sitting, standing, is dust to God? How much more my problem? Although my problem seems to be large, the meditations of my heart concerning the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of God ought to be infinitely larger. This, my friends, is what bolsters confidence in the presence of God. And there are many who pray because it is merely a spiritual obligation, but they do not pray with the confidence that God delights to hear the petitions that we are offering and that he's looking for opportunities to manifest his presence, his power, his might on behalf of his children. And so God is, <coughs> excuse me, God is allowing a variety of problems, 
problems that we cannot circumvent or overcome. And thus we are compelled to turn to him and to cry to him on the basis of his promises to save us, to deliver us. He delights to show himself to be a very present help in times of trouble. Let's consider his exploits. Jehoshaphat recognized the historical accounts of the work of God's works, especially on behalf of the Jewish uh, forefathers. The record of his exploits are known from the creation of the world up to the very driving out of the Canaanites and giving the children of Israel the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God who wrought exploits in antiquity. And Jehoshaphat began his prayer and contemplation by framing his thoughts, if you will, from greatest to smallest. He begins with the greatness of God who rules in the heavens. And then he comes to the next level, the God who rules in the kingdoms of men. And then he comes to a lower level, the God of the fathers who did exploits on behalf of his people. Now, contemplating and coming into God's presence with this awareness doesn't mean that the problem goes away or is of less import. It simply puts the problem in perspective. Why is it necessary for the believer to recount God's exploits. I believe this is important for two reasons. The first is, we need to see what the prerequisites are for engaging, enlisting, and enjoying fellowship and participation of the God of heaven within the scope of my experience. And secondly, we need a basis for stepping out in faith with complete expectancy that he and he alone will respond to us just as he responded to them. When we look into the heavens, we, we gaze at heaven's uh, expanse. It appears limited from the human perspective. And so we, we use uh, powerful instruments to gaze far into the heavens, even beyond what the naked eye can see. And yet, we are told in various places in the scriptures that God exists beyond all that is and that he is far greater than all that he has created in the heavens and that the very heavens of the heavens can't even contain him. And so it behooves us to hold this imagery in our hearts and minds juxtaposed to the very nature of the problem we're facing. And to hold this imagery of the grandeur, the greatness, the exploits of God until we get clarity of perspective that energizes our faith. My friends, our faith needs to come to the place where we see the outcome, even before it has come to pass. It sees 
God's greatness. Faith clings to that vision like metal clings to magnets. Jehoshaphat brought his view of God and God's reach into the realm of men. And he, he puts all the kingdoms, if you will, into one bucket. <laughs> that God has sovereignty over all the kingdoms. And that includes Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir, the very enemies that have come against him. All the kingdoms are subject to the sovereignty of Jehovah. And Jehoshaphat went beyond his circumstances to say that Jehovah rules in these kingdoms. He rules. He's sovereign in these kingdoms. It is he, that is Jehovah, that truly executes Whatever occurs in these kingdoms, whatever actions take place and the movements of these kingdoms. And this fact is important because three of those kingdoms have now been brought to the doorsteps of Judah and Jerusalem. And the only way, I say to you, the only way that this could have happened is if the God of heaven, Jehovah of hosts, allowed this so that he might show himself strong on Judah's behalf. Jehoshaphat takes his meditation and requests to the third level, and that is Jehovah's ability and power to do exploits. Do you recall... For example, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, there was a litany uh, given of David's mighty men and their exploits. Now, David had many brave and noble soldiers, but there were those whose deeds set them apart. <clears throat> and their exploits told of their ability, which distinguished them from all the other soldiers. So, too. Our God distinguishes himself from the sovereignty that nations possess because ultimately it is his sovereignty that prevails. It is God's sovereignty that overrules whatever the actions are of these kingdoms. This is what Jehoshaphat is saying. None is able to stand against Jehovah because of his power and his exploits. When we come into the presence of God, before we take it upon ourselves to present petitions, we need to consider in whose presence we are. I subscribe to you, the child of God, is to spend time in meditation on the very nature, power, and the presence of God. We must, we must, especially during our quiet times, spend extended moments pondering who God is in contrast to the crisis we currently face. 
Our Lord Jesus gave the pattern of prayer that, that we now call the Lord's Prayer. But in that, in that skeleton of, of, uh, of, of, of a prayerful approach to God, this is exactly what Jehoshaphat did, which is to highlight the greatness of God as our Father, to highlight his distinctives as a holy and righteous and ever-present God, to highlight that he's the God of renown, to highlight he's the God of our fathers, to highlight that he alone executes his will in heaven and on earth in an unchallenged way at all times. And when we ponder this and rest our minds, our confidence on these three facts, God's greatness, God's sovereignty, God's power, our praying will be as the prayers of Elijah, who we are told in James, I believe, he was a man of similar passions. We will pray with confidence, with assurance, with expectancy, and we will not be disappointed. Before Jehoshaphat reminded Jehovah of the current need, that is, the three nations that are on his borders. He reminded God of what he did, that is, what Jehovah did on earth, and what he did for his people. He gave to God his rightful due. He gave to God the glory that he deserves. It is a simple matter for God to overturn our crises, my friends. It's simple. He can make it go away with one command. God only needs to issue a command in order to grant our requests. But the labor of prayer, the labor in spending time in the presence of God is necessary for us to grow in confidence and assurance that we have the petitions which we ask of him and we are being emboldened to pray in faith with expectancy until it becomes a delight to wait in his presence for the things we have need of. The laboring is not for God. The laboring in prayer is for us to grow in this spiritual exercise. And so Jehoshaphat begins to remind God of what he did for the nation in times past. And this recollection of the historical workings of God is important for faith because it reminds the believer that those that have gone before us are in no more uh, worthy a position than we are to receive answers to our, our petitions. God has left us a written testimony of his exploits with his people that this, this testimony may strengthen, may nerve our endeavor to keep Praying, believing. Keep praying with faith. Keep praying with expectation. But sadly, 
we pray pretending to believe. And our hearts and our minds are rife with unbelief. Jehoshaphat reminded Jehovah of what he did, that is Jehovah, what he did in times past. It is as though he was prompting God to recall his past achievements, to recall what he did for his people. And this prompting, this prompting of the infinite God is but a reminder of his commitment to fight for his people, to fight for Jehovah in uh, Jehoshaphat in this present moment. And lastly, the promise. Now we arrive at the, the give us this day our daily bread moment in Jehoshaphat's crisis. Jehoshaphat is reminding Jehovah of the commitment made to Solomon concerning this house, this temple. This, this was written, I believe, in the records of 1 Kings, around chapters 8 and 9. Solomon, on behalf of the people, uh, entered into a solemn contract with Jehovah that if they are put to worse by any evil, such as the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, and so forth, and they stand before Jehovah in that very temple, or wherever they may be scattered throughout the earth, if they are, uh, turn their faces in the direction of where the temple exists, once the petition is made, they would be heard and Jehovah would respond. <clears throat> Here is the clear exercise of faith on Jehoshaphat's part. He reminds Jehovah that this temple was erected as a dwelling place for God, a sanctuary built in his name. Additionally, associated with this building and its purpose is the covenant, I repeat, the covenant, the covenant that if for any reason evil comes upon the nation of Israel in a fourfold manner, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, and the people stand before Jehovah and cry to him in their distress, he will hear, he will save. This is the essence of the covenant. This is it right here. I'm going to boil it down for you. If the believing Israelite is in the presence of God, in this temple, or looking to him from any part of the earth towards this temple, number one, number two, and cry to Jehovah in distress. Number three, he will hear and save. This is the essence of the covenant. This is the importance of this promise. This is why this is critical. My friends, God stands by his word. He stands by his promise. He will respond just as he's committed. Jehoshaphat, within his mind and soul, started with the grandeur of God and then the authority of God 
followed by the exploits of God, and ended with the promise of God. This king started with the grandeur, then the authority, then the exploits, and ended with the promise. Upon this, there was absolute assurance this king will receive an answer. And so too, when the Lord Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he started with God and his authority, his name, his holiness, and so forth. And then his purposes, his will to be executed on earth as it is in heaven. And after all of that was addressed, after God and his person, God and his holiness, God and his interest, all that he is, all that he's doing on the earth, when all of that is presented before him, evidencing that this child of God on his knees is aware of who he is, in whose presence he is, and what his purposes are, he now comes to the need of the day, our daily bread. And Jehoshaphat came to the need of his day, deliverance from the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. I ask you, what promises do you stand upon when coming into the presence of God? I remember when I was uh, sort of marooned on St. Croix uh, in 2017 during Hurricane Maria, as I sat in the living room with my mother and sister and the storm was but basically a half day away. Psalm 91 was the psalm upon which we based our trust in God. And this very psalm, Psalm 91, tells us of the importance of being in God's presence. The psalmist said in the very first verse, I want you to listen to this, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's how he starts out this psalm. The secret place of the Most High is in his presence, his presence, the holy presence of God. That is the sacred place for the believer. And Jesus alluded to this very truth in Matthew chapter 6 when he said how we should not pray as the hypocrites do with repetitions, but rather we should enter into our closet. And here's the key. And he goes further to say that our Father, which sees in secret, shall render it to us. The sacred place, the secret place, the place of communion with God is in his presence. We are better served if that place, for example, is excluded from others and if you will, just protect it from interference and interruption. And so the psalmist goes on to say that we, the believer, would have the, the awareness, the experience of abiding under the shadow of God. We would know his presence in this secret place. The psalmist continued in the same 91st uh, psalm by saying, surely he shall cover you from the snare of the fowler and from the destructive pestilence. He'll protect us. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings 
shall you find refuge. And so not only did uh, King Jehoshaphat lay claim to the promise made during Solomon's reign, but he also acknowledged that he and Judah, and this is so important because some of us are really proud and bold in God's presence, and, and boldness, of course, we're encouraged in Hebrews to come to the th uh, throne of grace boldly. But not only did this king, uh, Jehoshaphat, lay claim to Solomon's that to the promises made during Solomon's reign. But he acknowledged before God that he and Judah had no ability to do what they're asking God to do for them. And this is a vital acknowledgement before God because Jehoshaphat said, no might, we have no might in the presence of this great company which comes against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon you. His father, King Asa, made this error 25 years before, uh, not before Jehoshaphat, but King Asa made uh, the error 25 years after he defeated uh, Zira the Ethiopian. And when uh, the northern king came against him, he went to Ben-Hadad, which was the king of Syria at the time, and he bought his uh, allegiance, if you will, with gold and silver. He resorted to his gold and silver in enlisting the help of Ben-Hadad, the king, the Syrian king, to defeat the king of Israel. And so he resorted to, the, to his own resources rather than God and waiting upon him. And it was at this point when he made this error that Hanani, the seer, said this to him, that the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. God will show himself strong to the one who's looking to him and him alone, not trusting one's personal resources. And this was a rebuke at that time to King Asa in that he trusted material things and his own wisdom. And thus the word and the will of God was not accomplished. Jehoshaphat, however, would have known this because the records of the kings were kept. They can go back and read the records, the exploits, or the failures of their predecessors. And he learned, I believe, this vital lesson from his father's experience. Unfortunately, it was his father's failure. But he learned this lesson and turned to God. Along with Judah and Benjamin. And acknowledged their inability to solve this crisis. A crisis that, as far as they were concerned, was bigger than their resources were. He learned one important lesson and that is to turn to God fully with one's heart. Turn fully to God. And that is what they did when he said in God's presence, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. And that, my friends, is where the Christian finds power. 
That is where we find grace in time of need. That is where we gain assurance and confidence in prayer that the petitions which we ask of God, he will grant to us. Why? Because we have acknowledged that he and he alone is God. He has no equal. Because we have acknowledged that the sovereignty and dominion belongs to God. He has no challengers. Because we acknowledge that all that transpires on this earth could not occur unless his hands caused it or allowed it because it is his will. Because we have reminded him by the written word of God of all that he has accomplished on behalf of his people and promised to accomplish yet in the future. Because we present ourselves wholly incapable of solving our own crises, and therefore we are looking to him to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Yes, my friends, this is the path to answered prayer. This is the confidence that we should have in the presence of God waiting there until full assurance of faith has borne fruit in our hearts and we can worship God and thank him for deliverance, for answers, even before we have seen the answers to our petitions come to fruition. Oh, my friends, may we have the joy of answered prayer as we remain in his presence beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.